Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Happy New Year, everyone. Before we get started with our first show of 2021, I want to share some exciting podcast news. Our first season of Job Sharing and Beyond will come to an end around late February. Season 2 will start later in March. More details will be announced in the upcoming episodes. Our latest Emily's Past Consulting EPC newsletter dropped a couple of days ago. It includes an excellent interview with Lily Luong, whose master's thesis, Social Competencies in Top Sharing, won two awards. You can read it and a shortened version of the newsletter on LinkedIn. To read the unabridged newsletter and get future issues delivered to you directly via email, please subscribe to it. The link is provided in the show notes or simply head over to the Emily's Past Consulting website, which is E-M-I-L-Y-S-P-A-T-H dot C-A. But now, without further ado, I am very happy to introduce my guest, Janie Hamilton. Janie is the Managing Director and Founder of Find Your Flex, parent company of mommyjobs.co.uk, and daddyjobs.co.uk. She initially founded these two companies in 2017 out of her personal need for flexibility. She will tell us more about this in the interview. The response to the launch was overwhelming. 1.27 million people got in touch over 10 days, showing a clear need and interest for flexible work. Before founding her companies, Janie had worked in recruitment as both a consultant and media sales for over 16 years. Janie has recently been awarded the prestigious Community Maker Award by She Has No Limits, which is given out annually to celebrate women's achievement in the workplace. Janie's future goal is to become an MP to make real change in the workplace from within Parliament for everyone in the UK. She took her first steps this past summer by joining the 50-50 parliamentary group. Welcome to the show, Janie. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. We have so many people from all over the world listening to us today. And um, could you tell them where you're calling in from and if there's a particular food or a site that you can recommend anybody coming to visit your area. So I'm calling you today from Darlington, England. Um, we're in the northeast of England, and I guess we're probably most famous for our chicken parmos. Um, uh, chicken palm, as they would say in Sopranos. Um, but yeah, that is the food of the northeast, I'm afraid. I've realized through my show that I'm learning so many different dishes from all around the world and I had not heard of this one before. Now, could you tell our listeners what made you decide to 
create your company initially? So back in 2017, um, I created the the company mummyjobs.co.uk and it was very much with um, having senior women in mind that had basically decided to have children when they were a bit older and then couldn't find their way back into a senior position and what I was finding was that a lot of women my age were having to take much junior positions to try and find any flexibility to give themselves a work-life balance um, which had not been my experience. So I had, when I was 33, I had my first daughter, Beatrice, and she was born with hip dysplasia. So I'd never heard of that before. So myself and my husband, obviously that's our first child. It was all we knew. And we were in and out of hospital all of the time. Um, she was in a full body cast pretty much until she was 15 months old. So it was a really, really tough period, both mentally, physically, everything. It was just exhausting. Right. Um, and I actually um, went back to work after five months and I went back full time and my husband took shared parental leave, which had just come into the UK. So he was working for 20th mm -hmm. Century Fox at the time. So he took eight months off in the end for shared parental leave to do the heavy lifting because where she was in a cast and things like that, we couldn't send her to nursery. She couldn't have any of her childhood inoculations because all of her you know, this, the, the injection oh, zones were covered yeah, with the yeah. cast and everything. Um, and my my employer was just amazing throughout it all. And I remember Liam started struggle struggling because, you know, we couldn't leave the house and he started suffering mm -hmm. from depression and things like that. And I went to my boss and I was like, look, I was like, Liam needs to go back to work. Even if it's just one day of week, he needs that release from the house because we are literally housebound. It's like lock, lockdown times, nine months or whatever it was, um, wow. you know, can, can we please do something where, you know, I'll work a day a week from home or I'll just reduce my hours to four days mm -hmm. just so he can have that day in the office and just to, just to help with, you know, being around other people. Um, and he said, yes, absolutely. But I don't want you to lose out financially on top of everything else that you're going through. So I'll still pay you your full time hours. So that was just amazing and unheard wow. from a boss anywhere. Yeah. So what I've heard is very unique. But then when we fast forwarded two years and by that point, Beatrice was healthy and I had my second daughter, Eliza, who was also healthy and I wanted to then work flexibly. I'd already, you know, I'd already reduced down to four days before, had a similar conversation mm -hmm. with my boss and he was just like, no, I can't because I was the only senior female in the organisation at the time. It was on Fleet Street, you know, a big media company. He said, you know, right. the, the office is 95% female. If he sets a precedent with me, working flexibly he would then have he wouldn't really have a leg to stand on when it came to anybody else within the organization asking so obviously my request was denied um, and I took on bridge with that I'd worked in recruitment advertising for you know 16 years by that point um, and I decided to take what I knew and become an entrepreneur and invented mummy jobs and you know that was in the February and we launched in the May and six weeks after that my husband was like well you know there's only going to be more dads that are going to take shared leave and want to work flexibly too and spend more time with the kids so six weeks later daddy jobs was launched and then about three or four months after that um, we got our first proper paying client that was offering um, some really great flexible um, employment opportunities for a, a, a like a, a gas and electricity company um they just wanted mm -hmm. people to cut to work for them uh, from home um essentially just answering their customer complaint emails and they said they didn't care what time day or night they did the job as long as the emails got answered they didn't really care they had a really robust crm and you know technology is vital isn't it in trying to, to provide flexibility and working from home and things like that um 
and yeah, so we we put we pushed that out across our social channels and 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 across the websites and things. Um, and a lady got in touch with me, and I really remember it clearly. It was a lady on Facebook, and she asked me how much she needed to pay to apply. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, you do not need to pay to to apply for a job. This is like a proper job. Um, and obviously it hit me at that point on Facebook and on, on those kind of social media sites, everything was about multi-level marketing and, um, you know, right. trying to entice vulnerable women into these jobs. And I say that in inverted commas that, that aren't really jobs and, and, you know, to put their life savings into, into that and setting up these, you know, mini businesses that aren't businesses. And, um, you know, that was the environment that we were living in. So I kind of took umbrage with that um, and did a post on LinkedIn basically criticizing you know employers and just sort of saying how have we got to this point in society where, where you know we're essentially are demoralizing and devaluing women to the point where they feel that they need to pay you to allow them to work um and it obviously resonated with a lot of people not just in the UK but globally I had 1.27 million people get in touch with me in 10 days um Wow. And that kind of just transformed the platform. Um, you know, many of them weren't parents. They were just saying, you know, I, st- I need to work flexibly for X, Y, Z reasons. Can I still have right. my jobs on your platform? And we were like, yes, absolutely. And that's kind of where Find Your Flex spawned from. Um, and we launched um, the Find Your Flex platform in um, March of 2018. And the rest, as they say, is history. So we've been winning quite a lot of awards um, in the UK and Europe since then. And, you know, it's our mission to lobby parliament and get change for flexible working legislation and and really take that flexible working story and everything that we're learning from our audience out to the world and really try and encourage more employers to see the benefits of it. I'm so appreciative that you are doing this because I feel there is still so much, I guess, prejudice against flexible work that so many people still see it as people who might not be as um dedicated to their job or that in many cases it really is on an entry-level position only and so if somebody especially if they've been out of the workplace maybe for five or ten years and still need to have that balance and come back they've gained experience and they've had experience and uh, you know educated very well but still the expectation is that they start right from the bottom again and so yeah it's it's like I think it was about a year ago I did here in Canada in Vancouver I looked at 500 different positions which were you know targeting well educated and you know experienced professionals and I think two of them were on a more flexible part-time position one of them was an accountant position and the other one was a management position yeah well I think it's crazy I mean you I mean a few things are just popping into my head as you say that I mean apparently so the you know working families initiatives and and charities in the UK say that about 80% of all jobs could actually be done flexibly yet only 18% of jobs are actually advertised with flexible working opportunities within them it's never been more apparent to me than um when we got a furlough here in the uk with the pandemic and you saw only 30 percent of businesses actually being able to continue to employ their staff and, and and to be able to you know for them to go to work or work from home every day 70 percent of businesses in the uk had to furlough their staff that just shows you 
70% of businesses in the UK have not been ready and not future-proofed and not ready for the new world of work that work will become, it will become flexible. The more, the more we are led by technology, the more our jobs can be flexible. So it just, it just really flags up very, very brightly how far we still have to go for flexible working and to, and to make it the norm. I always quote as a best practice example in Germany, there is SAP. Um, and so what they have done is literally every management position is written out as a job sharing position. And a manager who doesn't do this actually has to explain why that particular position couldn't be done in a job sharing way. And the interesting thing was that out of the job sharing, you know, out of the management positions that are now in a job sharing function, 43% of them are taken by male job sharers. So I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, it goes back to your point, it isn't, quote unquote, just like a mommy track. There are many, many reasons why people want and need flexible work it's and it's getting those other people who want and need it to talk about it that's been one of the biggest things that we've sort of seen over the last three years is is finding those other people within businesses that aren't a parent whether they're a mum or a dad to talk about why they want to work flexibly you need ambassadors pushing it because unfortunately in the UK and I think this is why the legislation in the UK here is stalled is because you've got some amazing women pushing for flexible working agenda but it's all from a place of parenthood you know you've got mother pucker you've got mm -hmm. you know uh, jolly brayley who are massive lobbyists here for it who've, who've stood in front of the welsh assembly who've stood in front of government and made the case of flexible working but i think until we get some of these huge you know ceos and directors coming forward and talking about their need and enjoyment of working flexibly and the benefits that, they, that it's had on their mental health on their life on just everything around them without it being parent focused we're not going to see change at least from a parliamentary level anyway yeah and it's it's interesting that you say this because um a couple of days ago in a german newspaper there was a um, article and that was actually emphasizing that more men need to become role models for flexible work, whether that is for like, you know, a dad or anybody who happens to be male, because often they still are the senior in a majority of the senior leaders of an organization. And so if we have role models on top down that are having a part-time career are uh, maybe, I don't know, like writing a book or having some reason why they feel flexibility would be suitable for them. That would really make other people within their organization be much more willing to also ask for flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been doing a lot of research with our audience, both on the site and across our social channels. We're running two different polls at the minute. Um, around diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. um, because my contention is that it is the, you know, flexible working is the, is the gateway to a more inclusive and diverse workplace. Exactly. Um, so we've actually just been, you know, asking the people onto the site, um, you know, especially the parenthood question. Okay, so, you know, if you are a parent and that's why you're wanting flexibility, or if you just, if you are a parent and you're on here looking for flexible working, how old is your youngest child? Because I think that also makes a huge difference in terms of what type and level of flexibility that they're after. And actually we found out really quickly that 23% uh, of our 
users didn't even have children. Um, near enough 12% of our audience, children were adults that left the nest. Mm -hmm. Um, and only 21% of children um, didn't have access to free childcare. So only 21% only of our audience on, had children under the age of two, which obviously in, in the UK, we get free childcare um, from the age of three. Um, so, you know, realistically, the not two is probably the only time where parents would benefit from remote working. The rest of the time, they probably could benefit from a mix and match, you know, part office, part remote, or however that might you know, turn out to be. We've also seen <clears throat> a huge growth in our male audience. We're up to 40% audience share now on our wow. male audience. Um, our, you know, we're, we're also asking, you know, questions around sexuality, gender, religion. Um, and, uh, you know, the religion one for me, being in the UK, I, you know, we were brought up Christian and um, actually now the biggest segment of the UK don't have a religion you know and you know there's there's ties across and um we, you know we're up to 14 percent of the audience being disabled now we've got you know up to 25 percent from the lgbtq mm -hmm. community so when we're talking about diversity when we're talking about inclusion these guys are looking for flexible working as a as a way in because they're thinking well actually if this employer is forward thinking enough to offer flexible work you know they're diverse of thought they're they're, they're inclusive as a business because they want to reach Chances and they're not just doing it to tick a DNI box, they're actually offering flexible working, which you can't tick a box on. You're either flexible or you're not, and you very quickly get found out if you're not. So I think that's why we see, you know, a huge influx of people from very different walks of life and backgrounds actually searching for work through the medium of flexible working. I'm so on board with the same idea that by having a more flexible work um, environment, it really allows many different people to be able to work who may, for whatever reason, simply not be able to work full time. I feel there just needs to be so much more awareness raising. When we talk, it seems very apparent because we've spent so much time doing research in it. But mm. when I talk with other people in North America, job sharing, for example, is simply not something that they have heard about, even though I've interviewed Professor Reed, who wrote a book, a co-authored a book nearly 40 years ago about job sharing. Janie then brought up an excellent point that for the future of work, shared resources will not only be within organizations like job sharing, but they can also be across different organizations. Um, I mean, to me, that seems the obvious thing in terms of the future of work is that that we do offer shared resource. I mean, we've done it. We've done it here because obviously we're, with us being a growing business, mm -hmm. um, you know, we can only offer so many hours a week. So when, you know, I mentor quite a few different startups. So I've put the offer out to those guys where they don't have a sales team. Well, actually, my guys would love to have more hours, but we don't have that bandwidth. Right. So we share that resource we're in similar markets they're talking to the same people that you want to talk we're not in competition with each other mm -hmm. so let's share that resource and let's offer this person full-time hours because that's what they want right now and both of us benefit from an amazing staff member without losing her to another business that can just give her full-time hours straight off the bat in a position that she might not enjoy as much as she does fighting for flexible working so you know it's about businesses being able to be agile and right. think outside the box and actually work with their employees because we're not just a, a number we're not just something that's there on the bottom line 
Um, and it's about, you know, doing that to also helps businesses because you're removing a fixed cost and you're becoming a fluid cost. You know, it, it, it's about that, again, coming back to diversity of thought, diversity of thinking that businesses need to do now if they want to future-proof and safeguard their companies. This is the way that people need to be thinking. Um, and that's certainly the, the sort of where we're moving forward through within our business. You know, we've had to pivot quite a lot, as you can imagine, oh. between three years of Brexit, Brexit, COVID-19, and then next year is going to be COVID-19 and Brexit. Um, that's, you know, we're having to pivot. We're having to be agile. We're having to look at, you know, we're not just a job board. We're a consultancy where, you know, we're all things, well, not all things to all people, but, you know, we're looking at, okay, what's, what's our specialism? What, you know, we've got 20 years worth of experience here. Mm -hmm. How do we make this business more agile and how do we serve more people? Um, and I think that's how all business needs to, to look and be moving forward. Otherwise, I can't see how they're going to survive. I completely agree. And it's so interesting that you are bringing up job sharing across different organizations. When I talked um, to Professor Anjali Bansal, she actually mentioned also in India that there is a very innovative organization who does exactly what you described and it as you said it also then allows people to get the experiences by working at two different organizations that you said most mm -hmm. likely not competing so therefore it gives them a broader um you know background of how something is run and can sort yeah. of take best practices from one to the other and and gain yeah. sort of double could you imagine if we could do that for our graduates right. if we could do that for our graduates they would get you know they come out of uni fully expecting to be management level within six months well actually <laughs> if we did this shared resource and they worked for a few different companies they would get that knowledge so much quickly and be able to climb that ladder as fast as they'd like and oh, it just seems crazy to me that businesses don't embrace that culture i really feel there is so much potential and the silver lining coming from COVID that if we had had the same conversation last year, like a year ago, probably we would have talked about that remote work would be something a lot of people are really interested in and it would help with um, flexible work. And overnight, it seemed, all of a sudden, so many companies had to shift to remote work. Do you not feel like your conversations have changed though? I feel like I've gone from saying, well, flexible working doesn't just mean part-time to, well, flexible working doesn't just mean working from home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's literally the <laughs> opposite ends of the scale here, people. No, I, I completely agree. And I because I feel very strongly about job sharing as a form of flexible work, because to me, honestly, having another partner to me is the most perfect way of part-time because I often feel if one says, yes, I'm only working, whatever it might be, three or four days or so, what if happens if there is an emergency? What happens if your boss calls at whatever time at night because something needs to be done? So if you have a job sharing um, partner, then you can really be free and say, okay, I can take my time to do whatever I'm doing because I can rely and trust my partner to be there while I'm off and vice versa. And then on top of it, and that's often what people I feel don't really think about is it allows you to have this brainstorming session with your partner and come up with innovative ideas on how to solve problems. And so therefore actually use your manager far less. And I think often people are concerned about having 
a job sharing you know, team in an organization because they might think, well, so I now have to deal with two employees instead of one. And I mean, to be fair, there is sometimes also a uh, an additional cost from a employment tax. But what people also forget often is that these people will be far less likely to leave an organization. So it will reduce recruiting and training costs mm. in the long run. Yeah, and you're talking, what, in the UK, they they every head is about £5,000 to recruit. For me, with the, with the job share, for me, just allows part-time people to breathe because they they can switch off and they know that work's getting picked up. The amount of people who I know who have gone to work part-time or have reduced, you know, I wouldn't call working four days part-time because generally speaking, people who work four days squeeze five days worth of work into exactly. those four days. And it's not true part-time working. And I think if you've got the luxury of a job share, you can just, you can leave the office and go, you know, you're gone until the next Monday. Yeah. And, you know, and it it's about finding the right partner. And if that, the businesses can sometimes do that for you. Yeah. If they, you know, if they're lucky enough to recruit two really good candidates who maybe want flexible working. But actually we're also seeing in the UK, the rise of, um, a new platform called Do or Me, um, and that that's actually a resource where you can register onto that platform and find your own partner that's got similar level of skill and ability, similar experience that you can then combine, apply to job full time jobs for in a job share capacity, and you can go in together to do the interview and explain to the client, you know, to the employer, this is how we propose to do this role, and you're going to get the benefit of you know, holiday cover. You'll never have to right. worry about somebody going on holiday because the job share partner for those two weeks can work a full week or something like that. And I think you've got to highlight to employers the benefits because all they see is two people to manage instead of one, when actually it's in your interest as employees to make that job share work. So if anything, the employer is going to benefit from even more productivity right. than they were just hiring one person for that role. So again, it's around, like you said, diversity of thought and and getting employers to think in a different way and showing them the benefits. Yeah, I I so agree. And yeah, so to me, I really hope that, you know, when we have another conversation in a, in a couple of years or something like that, <laughs> we will look back and say, yes, the number of job sharers has really, you know, risen. So um, one thing that I'm very curious about what it's like in the um, UK, because I feel very strongly that when somebody is outside of paid work for a long period of time doing unpaid care work or caregiving of elderly relatives, I feel that all of these soft skills learned are really transferable business skills. And that when applying for a position, these should really be taken into consideration instead of saying, oh, somebody just, you know, was had a career gap or was on vacation or something like that. And so I'm curious what it's like in the UK. I think we've had to do a lot of work with our um, audience on the different types of CV you can do. Because I think everybody defaults to the chronological CV and then they're left in that situation of trying to explain those career gaps. Um, Whereas we've put quite a lot of focus, especially with returners and people who have had those big gaps to do a skills based CV instead. Mm -hmm. So uh, like you said, talking about those soft skills and it's about the way it's worded. We've written a couple of blogs on it. Um, It was just tools there so that 
people can understand the different ways of doing it. I think that th the biggest thing in the UK that people struggle with is getting past the recruitment consultancies, because generally speaking, as soon as especially with, you know, IR35 and all of that kind of stuff coming in, I think there's a lot of legislation that's hampering um, flexible working or people trying to get back to work and returning to work after a big after a big work gap through the recruitment consultancy model, which unfortunately takes up the biggest chunk of recruitment revenues in this country still today. Um, so we're seeing a few recruitment consultancies moving into that flexible working model and really being ambassadors for it. But it's still very, very few. I would say sort of maybe 19 out of 20 recruiters are still old school where you have to explain every single gap yeah. on your CV. And if it looks like too much hard work to explain that in them when your CV just goes in the bin, they don't even look at you. You know, and some of these women, because generally speaking, it is, a, is yes. women that have had these big chunks out. Um, you know, they might have had 20 years worth of experience prior to having right. that work gap, yet that just completely gets thrown out of the window. You know, I think... I think we as women, when that happens, we need to show where we're still keeping in touch. So any training courses that we do, because a lot of women that I know do, you know, they do keep on top of legislation change and things like that to make sure that they are on the game when they head back in. And it's about being given that opportunity and chance to do that. A lot of businesses in the UK, um, and I don't know if you have them in, in Canada, um, have started running these returner um, programs. And again, it frustrates me that they're needed because for me, if a business was flexible in the first place, people wouldn't need to return, um, which, you know, is one of those things that is a, is a bugbear of mine. But, you know, on the flip side of that, where people have had a big career gap, you know, these 12 to 20 week courses that companies will put on um, to sort of retrain people back up. Um, you know, a few of them will get jobs at the end of it or the best candidates that return the best, I guess, get, get the opportunity for jobs at the end of it. And I suppose the others have still got those training skills that they, right. they've done throughout the return of campaign will then help them hopefully go on um, and return to work somewhere else. But I think there's a few different, different ways of, of getting around it. But I think keeping a top of your training and there's, you know, there's so many good um cpd accredited courses in the uk now that you can jump on that don't cost the earth um the government are also um being quite good at actually where there's shortfalls in workforce if you're wanting to reskill into different industry sectors you can do those courses for free as well if you've been out of work for quite a significant period of time so th there are workarounds um and it's getting easier but we still give them a, a fairly steep hill to climb i think to return to work where you've had those big gaps and you know and it's often I think again COVID-19 has highlighted that it, it's those people who care for us um that we don't support and they're the ones who shouldn't should be supported they're the people that get paid the least and get the least amount of support from government so you know I think we all need a society to to actually look at how we view who are the people in our lives who are the most powerful and it shouldn't necessarily be the people with the most money. In Canada as you were saying about returnships when I did my initial research to understand around the world where there is already a lot of support for returners, it was in the US and it was in um, in the UK and in India. I would say these were the main areas where I encountered returnships. And I talked to Julian Miles, who is the co-founder of Women Returners in the UK. And um, it's really interesting to see what they have done. One of the challenge here in particular on the West side of Canada is that you don't have very large um, 
like headquarters of corporations. They are far more medium-sized and smaller organizations here. So like a, maybe a bigger type of cohort for returners is harder here. And there are some in Toronto, but um, what Julian was telling me, what they have done is in areas maybe where it's somewhat smaller, you have basically returnships across different companies in the same, uh, you know, area, like, you know, re, um, local areas. Companies will sponsor. So there's like tech returners, for example, exactly. and you'll get three or four companies sponsoring a cohort right. and taking the best candidates from it. The other side of that, the flip side of it, we're seeing a lot of returners actually going down the apprenticeship route and doing complete career changes. Oh. So you're getting a lot of midlife career changes taking apprenticeships. So it's not just about early careers going into that apprenticeship funnel. You've got older people because we removed the age limit. There used to be an age limit on oh, apprenticeships in the UK. Okay, okay. So that age limit's been removed now. Um, so, you know, you could be 30, 40, mm -hmm. 50 years old and start an apprenticeship and it'll be fully funded by the government and employers have incentives to take those apprentices on. So, you know, again, you know, where we've, you know, we've, we've talked in the past about, you know, the low birth years that are coming through. Right. And actually, is there going to be a point where we're going to have to pay people who are 40, 50 year old whose job functions are now obsolete because technology's moved on to retrain and rejoin through that apprenticeship for a world, which with maybe high, higher paid apprenticeship programs and rejoin the workforce that way using all of these amazing skills and, and, and ambition that they had in their former life and, and you know, giving employers really valuable candidates from different backgrounds, different skill sets into this new industry. And I think that's a really likely scenario in the in the next sort of 10 to 15 years. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, a lot of reskilling. Re and I think um, the Labour Party in this country in their, in their last manifesto was very much about having this lifelong learning mm -hmm. pass where you could go back to university or college and, and reskill into various different industries. And I really do think that that, you know, that is going to have to be the future because we're all living longer. We're all going to have to work longer, um, you know, and, and not every role is suitable for, you know, a job that's suitable for a 25 year old isn't suitable for a 55 just because of the physical attributes required for a role or, you know, with more and more jobs becoming in, in technology, you know, people who, you know, even my age group, you know, our IT courses at GCSE level and A level is nowhere near what they're doing in terms of coding and things like that now. Technology moves so quickly. So there's always that need for reskilling and education. And I think, you know, as a society, we need to make sure that's just as robust. And again, the knock on impact on that is, you know, but people are still going to need to work flexibly and people are still need to go. So we need to make sure that there's still flexibility in these apprenticeships and in these return programs that facilitate life. Um, because, you know, one of the biggest things that we get sort of fed, fed back on from these returner programs is that they're all full time. Well, actually, if you're returning to work after having a child, it's probably still going to be really difficult to do a nine to five because, you know, school starts at nine and it finishes at three. And if there's not wrap rounds or you're not earning, you know, on these returnships and apprenticeships, you're not paid a full salary. So you're even going to be able to afford that childcare that wraps around school and things like that. So. I think employers just really need to be more mindful of people's situations to allow them to return. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's, um, there was also here locally a um, program for in particular women, eight weeks or 12 weeks, but it was also full time. It was meant to be to kind of ease them back into 
working full time. But my thought was always, well, if I'm somebody who actually is not planning to work full time, it will make it really tricky to um, attend that class in the first place. And the, you know, the local situation here is that we have a lot of bridges and a tunnel because of, you know, we are, we are close to the water, right? And so it's really hard because then you get really stuck wanting to go back the, the reskilling and upskilling. To me, I see that as a, a huge advantage in a way because before people were going to school, university, have their job and just kind of keep climbing the ladder. And now with the whole reskilling and upskilling, it I've read that somewhere, it's sort of like a, a highway and you're taking an exit to reskill and then go back on. And so in a way, I think it presents more of a level field for somebody who has been out of paid work because they will have to reskill, but so will somebody else who has been there yeah. because things um, change so much. And to your point, you know, different types of um, jobs may no longer exist or might have to be shifted in one way. So um, one thing I, and this is my pet peeve is still that an organization like LinkedIn, when you look at how the, the profile is set up, it really doesn't help so much somebody who has a more non-traditional and, you know, not a linear type of- Squiggly career. We call them squiggly careers. Oh, here. that's interesting. Okay. There's a book for it. Uh, squiggly. There's a book, squiggly careers. Squiggly. Okay, I'm going to- All those people who have a squiggly career. I like that. All over the place. So Jenny, you were mentioning the career change midlife and like maybe have an apprenticeship. And you, I've also heard you talk about like an internship type program. So could you tell me more what your thought was on that? We're getting to these points now in our careers where, you know, I mean, we can just, my head, my head of marketing is a, is a case in point. She trained as a midwife. That was what she did until she got to 35 and she had a family and she couldn't make midwifery work. It, it just did not fit with her life with having young children and, you know, a partner and everything that goes with that. And so she completely reskilled. She did a lot of courses out of, while she was doing the midwifery. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to, to learn and reskill into marketing and social media um, and then found a job with us and very quickly became a massive flexible working advocate. You know, I'm hearing these stories all the time around these non-traditional careers as we're talking squiggly careers uh -huh. and, and things like that. And, you know, that's one way of doing it, doing these courses out of your own pocket and doing it. You've got the returner programs, you've got apprenticeships. Um, you know, and the other thing is, um, you know, we talk to a lot of companies where, you know, they're really great on flexible working and, 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 and upskilling and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, when you join, all of these induction programs are full time. So as you said, when these people then end up doing a part time job, they just cannot do the full time induction. Right. And you see, you lose a lot of candidates because actually the training that's provided doesn't fit with the job that, exactly. that um, you know, is only two weeks away. But that two week tunnel to people can really put them off accepting that job. Um, so I just I think, you know, it, it comes back to, again, employers thinking about the people and it's it's all well and good being flexible in certain ways. But actually, big picture thinking, it's got to be completely transferable right the way through from day one, you know, to day 160 or wherever you are in that training program. You know, it's got to be um, it's got to be right for the candidate and, and the training needs to reflect what the role is going to be at the end of it as well. We've talked a lot about 
different types of flexible work and and what we hope is going to change over time now we have a lot of business leader listening to us so what would you recommend to somebody who at this point in time might not have as much flexibility or flexible work in his or her organization what should be like a first step i always say when somebody comes to me um and asks how do they start this journey to flexible working you know that they really want to embrace it I always tell them to go back and actually talk to their staff because nine times out of 10, there'll already be flexible working agreements in place within teams, within the business already. There'll be allowances made. They'll all be already be doing bits and pieces that just aren't official, that are not in the job contract. Uh-huh. Just because of how we are as people and how we manage our teams, we understand that, you know, one day a week you might need to leave slightly early and you make up the hours another in which case wow amazing all you're doing flexi time already that's one of the flexible working things that you do and that's amazing you know maybe one day a week one of your managers works from home you know amazing you're offering remote working here and there and I think just being engaged with your staff seeing what's possible you know you know, going, talking to your land manager, because this is, this is where it falls down at the minute in the UK, and I'm sure it does in other countries. It's when you get down to the team managers, the hiring managers, the people who actually have to manage an agile team on a day-to-day basis, if they've not been trained or they've not been consulted on, well, actually, how do you feel about managing that kind of team? What do you think would work for you as a manager? What extra training can we provide to, to make sure that you are able to recruit these people and to manage these people and to get the most out of them? You get them involved in that, in that early stage discussion. They're bought in. The problem that we've got here, it's coming top down. People are just being told, right, well, we're doing this now, but actually it doesn't translate through to the higher and people will automatically default. Well, I want a bum on that seat nine to five every day. So you're not getting that flexible working translating through. So as much as, you know, the people at the top might want to tick that flexible working, like DNI box, they, it just doesn't translate, it doesn't flow through the business because, you know, that, that support's not being put there or people just aren't being given the opportunity to talk about what works for that team. And so I'd say that that is your first, first step. Talk to your teams. What do they recommend? How do they see that role being able to be performed in one of the different ways that somebody could flex? Um, and I think if you start there, you're going to have a successful embedment of flexible working and, and a new way of working, a new culture of work um, that is more inclusive across all levels. That sounds great. Now, on the opposite side, what would you recommend to somebody who is thinking of um, either applying to a job that is, you know, where he or she would like to have it a more flexible job or is, um, you know, coming back from unpaid work and really still needs to have a flexible job because otherwise the work-life balance simply doesn't work? Um, I would say include it in your CV, in your aim, in your personal statement, right front and center, because the last thing you want to do is waste your time going through the process of CV, interview, being offered a job and waiting six months before you put that flex request in for it to be denied. You're investing an awful lot of time for something that's just not going to happen. I think the businesses who will do it will do it 
if it's in your CV, that you're going to go through the process knowing from as soon as you send that CV in that flexibility is going to be available. Um, so I think, yeah, just be upfront and center. There's too many people that I know that have thought that have been like, well, when do I bring it up? Do I bring it up at interview? Do I bring it up when they make the job offer? Or should I just sit tight and wait till I'm legally allowed to request it mm -hmm. once we're six months in? Because that's how the law works in the UK. And I just think, you know, what you're 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 not giving your employer your best. There's subterfuge going on that whole time, and you're you're not able to invest in yourself because you're not quite sure whether it's going to work out at the end of it. So, you know, we work for a long, long time in our life and it's a big part of our day every day. So I think just be, you know, upfront, put it in your personal statement within your CV that you're ideally looking for flexible working, but also take it one step further and just sort of say, in an ideal world, this is what I'd love to work, but I'm also happy to work X, Y, Z. So you're being really upfront with a hiring manager that, you know, this is ideally how you would like to work. And like I say, you're not wasting their time. You're not wasting your own time. If that company is on board with flexible working, they're going to interview you. And if you're the best candidate for the job, they're going to give you it come hell or high water. So, you know, I think that's probably the best piece of advice I can give. Just be dead upfront about what's going to work for you and how you want to work, because it's your time as much as it's their time. Thank you. That is that is really, really good advice. Now, I could talk with you forever, Jamie, but um, we are coming to an end. So I want to make sure, is there anything that we haven't covered right so far that you would like to um, tell our listeners? Like I said at the, at the beginning, I'd just like to sort of loop it back around. I really do think that flexible working is the future of work. I think, you know, the touch points it has on not just our day-to-day -day working lives, but on culture, on mental health, on, you know, not losing businesses money for attrition, not losing businesses money for sick days because you're giving somebody what they want, but actually the bigger cultural benefits that, you know, the effect on climate change that having an agile team can, can benefit, doesn't just benefit you as a business, doesn't benefit the person, it, it benefits everybody on the, on the planet. Um, so I think, you know, it is the future of work. Employees are going to have to embrace it. Find yourself a really good consultant or specialist that's going to help you get there and embed that early. Quite happy to help on that front. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we, we've got to look at this new world of work. You know, if, if COVID-19 has done nothing else, it is really highlighted that businesses need to be agile to move forward. And if you're not agile, you're staying in the in the naughty, you're staying here. And, and that's it, I'm afraid. Well, thank you so much, Cheney. Now, how can people contact you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Cheney Hamilton. Um, I am on Facebook. I am on, you can just jump onto our website, findyourflex.co.uk or mummyjobs.co.uk or daddyjobs.co.uk. However you want to find me, my contact details are on there. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for having me, Karen. I really enjoyed it. To further emphasize... Janie's point that flexibility is really the future of work. Since our conversation, Zurich UK has come out with a report that by adding simply six words to their job descriptions, which is part-time, flexible work and job sharing, it has substantially increased applications for their jobs from men as well as women and also for senior leadership positions. I mentioned various previous episodes from Job Sharing and Beyond, and I will include them in the show notes. Also, I strongly recommend, if you are interested, 
to listen to the compilation part one and two. And then I have since that compilation series interviewed more people related to unpaid care work and support for returners coming back to paid work. And I will include that also in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.